0: The very first dinner was in July of 2014. We have had 40,000 dinners total. So 25% of all the dinners hosted on one table have happened in the last six months. It is unbelievable. There were 605 dinners alone on the Rosh Hashanah Shabbat week. So we know that people are yearning for this connection and resource.
1: Hi, and welcome to The Big Shmir, the podcast celebrating Jewish food, culture, and history. I'm your host, Beth Schenker. It's definitely fall, and I'm fortunate to have a front row seat to all the fall foliage this year. On a personal note, um, we did a crazy thing this summer and managed to relocate from Chicago to Boston to be nearer to our daughter and almost son-in-law. It felt like exactly the right thing to do in the middle of a pandemic, Why not? Um, We were even able to spend the high holidays together, which was really wonderful. Fall for me means comfort food. And following on the heels of the high holidays, I always like to continue to hold on to that feeling of connectedness if I can. And so I wondered what better way to do that than through food and Shabbat. And so that brings me to our guest for today's episode. I'll be talking with founding executive director, Aliza Klein, from One Table. No matter if you are familiar with this great organization or not, I thought a conversation with Aliza would be the best way to find out what they are up to in these challenging times. Hello, Aliza. Welcome to the Big Schmear. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. I'm so happy you could join me today so we can spread the word about delicious ways to think about our community. Before we get into the nitty gritty, I wonder if you could just share um, with my listeners briefly the mission and purpose of One Table.
0: Happily. One Table was created um, really to um, energize and empower rising generations of young adults to create their own lifelong home-based Shabbat practice. Um, The theory is that If we can help people at this stage of their life when they're no longer in college, not yet having kids, which for some is becoming an extended period of time, that they may think that they may think of Jewish life and engagement as something that they'll do when they find a partner or when they have children. But actually, they need Jewish connection and rootedness and connection to tradition just as much as anybody at any time in their life, maybe even more. We know from all of the research that two and others have done, that they are disassociating from, you know, Jewish institutional life at record rates, but that doesn't mean they're not looking for ways to feel connected. So One Table was created to kind of fill that void and empower young adults to become the creators of their own experiences. Because we were founded in 2014, you know, we had all this data from the way Birthright Israel was engaging young adults. And then the sometimes sort of the cliff that they fall off of. They may have interest and energy, but not quite sure what to do next. And we also um, had all this new technology like Airbnb, right, where individuals can open up their homes and invite people in. And the question was, could we leverage this information and also this technology to actually empower young adults to do this themselves, right? For this generation, at this point, it was millennials exclusively uh, who are sort of, born between 1981 and 1996. So this population which at that time was in their 20s to early 30s use of technology was uh, native comfortable and the idea of creating a an event on a website and then inviting people to come and participate and be guests through that platform was very normative even for a holiday meal or for Shabbat. That was our that was the the design challenge to see if we could actually create something that could grow to scale as quickly as possible.
1: Well, and you, you did the right thing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, wow, that just brings up so many questions. Was there one thing in particular that, that just, um, impacted you or lit your light that said,
0: ah, this is, this is what I have to do. Yeah, I think that's a great question. So I mentioned the the Jewish research about, you know, there's a a national study about Jewish engagement, which talked about these, you know, this rising numbers of disassociation. But at the same time, there was rising epidemic of loneliness, disproportionately affecting young adults. Um, And we can certainly assume that Jewish young adults are like all young adults in this category, reporting really the same levels of social isolation as seniors who are, in many cases, homebound. And this is certainly predating um, the pandemic where we know the acute impact of social isolation. So that to me was a strong impetus and a kind of urgency to create something to scale as quickly as possible, to normalize the practice of inviting people into your home and or finding other places to go um, so that on Friday night, which is the time of the week where you might be the most aware of being alone or not connected to others, that that should be the moment where you have the most resources to actually find connection. Uh, That was really, for me, you know, a galvanizing point. And and for me, also the idea that Jewish tradition and connection could potentially be an antidote to loneliness was a very strong motivator.
1: Gee, So it's just so perfect. I mean, it just like all the stars align, right? Yeah, yeah. How important is the food aspect to one table?
0: (laughs) The the, the most beautiful, there are so many beautiful things about Shabbat. And mostly because it's a multi-sensory experience, right? There's nothing negative. um, And the number one association with Shabbat, we, we did this in our early market research, but just the number one association you could probably guess, it's the one that smells so good um, <laughs> and tastes so good, right? It's yeah. the, 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 right? The, the ubiquitous of challah. Of so the associations of challah are so positive. And there are now, thank God, gluten-free options that can also, you know, create that same uh, feeling. I recommend potato flour. Um, but the idea is that food and especially the idea of cooking, which young adults in particular were not doing any other night of the week, that is became in and of itself the exercise to actually start practicing Shabbat by slowing down and before that, actually by planning out your menu. So one of the things that we use the technology for is we ask our hosts to think through how they want their guests to feel and what menu they're serving. And we do this for two different reasons. One is it helps the host really elevate the experience, and also plan ahead, which is, you know, part of learning to be an adult. <laughs> you have to make yep. sure you have the ingredients that you're going to need, and the timing that's going to take. And you know, it's how do you get the chicken to come out of the oven at the right time? Like these are not things that are intuitive. They take some training, um, and we have like a, a hotline to help people figure those things out. Super. Um, but also, yeah. Also, we learned that the guests. So we we require um, our guests to RSVP in advance. And that is not a normal behavior, especially for young adults. But if they know what to expect, then they will not only RSVP, but they will show up. And that includes, it's not exclusively the menu, but it does include the menu. The other thing I'll say is this generation does not have patience for schlocky food. Like they expect it to be good. And that also is like, for me, the greatest invitation to elevate Shabbat uh, through homemade challah through a carefully planned out meal, whether you're serving it like on the floor or on your rooftop or now in front of your computer screen. So one of the things that we noticed also right from the beginning is that people would plan their dinner. Um, they would invite people over at, let's say six when they got off work and then they would cook together and ah, then they would eat together. Nice. Which is, as you know, right. And you know, like that's just this incredible way to form relationships. And also to give everybody something to do, mm-hmm. right? Because if you show up as a guest, how do you feel like you're part of the experience? Obviously so much of this is pre-pandemic. It feels almost funny telling those stories. I know. Um, but we have seen, as you know, as a result of the pandemic, enormous returning to DIY, right? To home-based cooking and mm-hmm. bread baking. And um, and and with Shabbat, it becomes this reminder of what day of the week it is and yep. also the sweetest stories of people who are living together all the time, working next to each other, and yet desperate to have kind of an elevated moment and punctuation to the week. So we have an example where Marissa and Steve, for example, Marissa invites Steve through one table. You know, Steve is her boyfriend. They live together, but she invites him to dinner and takes the time to plan out the dinner, sets the table utilizes one table resources to help elevate the experience and changes the way they are talking to each other and eating together and marking Shabbat, which, you know, is again, like it's just a whole new way of us figuring this piece out. I think the breaking bread piece is essential. The other piece I would say is that, you know, we have data about how many people eat by themselves, Uh, you know, 57% of Americans. And again, this is pre-COVID. So. It's only going
1: to be so then, higher
0: now. Correct. So, how do you how do you name like sort of name that and acknowledge it and do everything you can to help people not feel lonely? And right now, I think one of our challenges is how you can be alone but not lonely. And is that sometimes cooking along, like we have. Like, I, I know I've, I've looked at, you know, some of your fantastic previous guests, many of whom I adore and have worked with in the past, um, and who we brought in to actually do um, teaching demonstrations so that if you are by yourself and you're doing a cook-along, you can feel connected, right? Absolutely. You know, patty in it, yeah. So if you're doing a, you know, a, you know Mexican-Jewish food with patty-innish, right, you can you can incorporate that into your Shabbat and know that you're sharing something that others are. And that sense of connection, I think is really profound.
1: Yeah. And I've, I certainly found that to be true personally in the pandemic of cooking a meal with people like Michael Solomanov during the, during the great big Jewish food fest, or personally we arranged to do a family kind of cooking lesson with Leah, uh, Leah Koenig. And it was just great. I mean, it, it, yeah. It's yeah, you might be in your house by yourself, but suddenly you're not. And you have yeah. this shared experience. And then you, you're you eating the same food together. So Correct. yeah, it's really great. So I'm going to say two things here. One is that often I ask my guests to provide a, a recipe for food that they a food item that they would like to share. And in this case, um, you have so many menu ideas and recipes on your own website that I'm not going to do that. But I'm going to ask you to Tell people where they can find those recipes.
0: Sure. So your best bet is to go to onetable.org. And when you're on that site, there are a lot of different places that I actually encourage you to go. One is looking at just resources in general. Um, and you can find Shabbat guides and ways to actually elevate your conversation, whether it is through a particular subject matter or specifically with recipes. There's a lot on there. So there's recipes, there's also ritual guides, there's also audio recordings, also tips for how to be a good host and be a good guest. So it's a great landing page. It's, you just go to one table.org and then click on resources. Once you're there, I really recommend perusing the dinners where it says find a dinner. That allows you just to see all of the events that young people are hosting on one table every Shabbat. Um, we had our, our highest week ever on the Shabbat of Rosh Hashanah. Like this year, you'll, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of two first, Shabbat and Rosh Hashanah, Shabbat and Sukkot, Shabbat and Shemini Adzeret, and the beginning of Tukhah Torah, like all of these are coinciding with Shabbat. Even the Shabbat between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, yep. which is a special <laughs> Shabbat shuva, right? There is like There are ways to feel so connected to the broader Jewish calendar with Shabbat at its core, and so we really try and anticipate that and think about, well, what do you need to do differently this time or this time or this time? Um, I'll also say one of the things that's interesting to me is that I'm at the stage of my life where Shabbat and setting the table and kind of emulating, in many cases, what I've learned from my parents' intention for me. I get bored easily, so I tend to vary the menu, but I also make certain things every single week because of how important that is to my children, like my roasted Shabbat potatoes. That's what we call them, and they're simply... But there's not roasted potatoes on the table. Like <laughs> <that's> a, <laughs> it's not that's Shabbat, correct? But for my but for one table users, it's really not the same. For young adults, especially who are new to this ritual, it's really exciting for them and important to them to keep making it different each time. So they're really hungry, literally and figuratively, <laughs> for different foods to cook. Right. If they're putting Sephardic foods or Mexican mm-hmm. foods or, um, you know, we did Michael Twitty did a beautiful um, teaching for One Table Live. Also, where we're thinking about bringing in all different types of food options as a way to elevate their experience at Shabbat. Sometimes they use have seen um, and we've seen, you know, again, during this pandemic time where we've seen a huge uptick in the practice of Shabbat, continued creativity in literally what they're thinking
1: about serving. I was just going to say that one of the things that's great about this, that maybe people have figured out now that we've been in this life for way too many months. And that is, it was really hard to remember what day of the week it was literally, because you never left your home, you worked at home, you lived at home, everybody in your home is in your home every single day. So having a way to delineate the work week from the weekend was, and still is, really important. So this really fills that very basic need. I'm wondering, when I looked at your website, which is beautiful and so easy to navigate, there's so many resources there. I'm wondering, what did you do differently? How did you pivot? Because it seems like so much is relevant right now during this really unusual time?
0: Uh, thank you for that question. It's one of my favorites. Um, <laughs> I to say, first of all, it's important to note that, um, well, I mentioned that I, I don't, I'm not, I, that I, I get bored usually or don't have, I don't have a lot of patience, which means I'm constantly thinking about and wondering how we can do whatever we're doing more creatively, be more responsive to the needs of the people for whom we're designing, et cetera. All this to say that on March 12th, you know, we had a, situation room for the first time because we realized that the following Friday we had two hundred and fifty dinners happening across the country Ooh. all of which would have been, you know, twelve to fourteen people with people from each other's apartments and homes. And we we had it was it was one of these moments we like, ah, we don't want to cancel Shabbat. Right. But for sure it has to be done differently. Right. And so immediately we made a number of changes in the way one table works. Obviously we got on the phone with all two hundred and fifty people to make sure that they could rejigger their evening and either move it online or only have Shabbat with people with whom they were sheltering in place. So the first thing that we did was, you know, add the option of, you know, putting kind of a URL, like a website address, like a Zoom link, for example, for the location of your dinner. Before, we never, ever would have encouraged people to have a virtual dinner. The whole point of one table was to have in-person contact to address loneliness. But that was one of the first things that we did. One of the second things that we did was shifted the minimum number of guests. The way One Table was designed, again, was about this hospitality. And we encouraged, there's data that says, you know, six to eight people is the exact right number for a dinner party where everybody can have meaningful conversations and build relationships. And our average was about 12 to 14. Um, That's, you know, for young adults, that was really what was most comfortable for them. We lowered, we had a minimum on the on our platform, which was that you had to have at least five people at the table to post on one table. Mm-hmm. And we lowered that to one. There are people who are totally by themselves who may be immunocompromised. They cannot leave mm-hmm. and they still need to be able to have Shabbat. And I'll tell you that we have had 10,000 dinners since the onset of COVID. Really? And just for, for that yeah, and for a frame of reference, I mentioned one, one table was, you know, our very first dinner was in July of 2014. We have had 40,000 dinners total. So 25% of all the dinners hosted on one table have happened in the last six months.
1: Unbelievable.
0: It is unbelievable. There were 605 dinners alone on the Rosh Hashanah Shabbat week. So we know that people are yearning for this connection and resource. So the you know, shipping to allow one person by themselves To allowing virtual. Um, We created resources called Shabbat Alone Together, and we've also created, like many organizations, something called One Table Live. So one of the things that we know is that the majority of people are guests, not hosts. I don't know if this has come up in your other conversations, but there are those of us who love to share with others and are really comfortable inviting people into our homes. And in fact, feel uncomfortable if we're not the host. Like if that's their most normal behavior. I don't know yet how much this is a learned trait, an inherited trait. Like I'm really trying to unpack this. But the majority of people that we have experienced are delighted to be invited. But if they cannot, right, we, we used to have open dinners where anybody could go. We can't do that the same way. So we have created One Table Live. So if you are eager to participate in a dinner, but you are not in a position to host yourself, and you're not invited to someone else's virtual dinner or with your roommates, then you can attend this. And we have had about thirty thousand people so far participate in these one table live Shabbats, which have included some of the folks we've mentioned, right, like Mike Salmanov and Patty Yannich and Mike Twit, Michael Twitty, but also a wide range of resources and content. And every Friday there is now Shabbat ritual on Instagram Live. For people in our population who have been on their screens all week, they cannot wait to turn it off. They don't have to be on. They can just enjoy a peer of theirs, a 27-year-old rabbinic student, leading Shabbat ritual and singing and giving an opportunity to kind of participate that way in a huge range. We've done about 100 of those events so far, and we now think that these are changes that will be ongoing for One Table. I don't see us going back to a five-person minimum anytime soon. I don't see us eliminating the online version anytime soon. And I don't see us eliminating this One Table Live event. I think that it has inspired a lot of creativity and just needs for finding new ways of forming connections. One Table asked itself two different questions. One was sort of, what do we need to do to meet the needs of the our primary target population, right, of these Jewish young adults, but also what are the resources that one table has built that could be leveraged for other people well mm-hmm. beyond our target population. Mm-hmm. And that, that led us to a few new efforts that I, you know, I'm sort of calling kind of like a powered by one table. So, you know, Stater hit, yes, we are, it feels like ancient history, but do you remember? Seder hit just a couple of weeks after <laughs> the, the onset of. Yes, in Place, of course. Right. And one table was like, we actually have the tools and the resources to help people. Create these experiences, and for people who have not done this before, and we launched very quickly with a lot of, with about 50 different community partnerships, Theder 2020, which was a website and an opportunity to host your own meal, and instructions for dealing with the Zoom, and curated Hagadot. and we had about 36,000 people from 63 different countries Whew. use that site. Yeah, it was, we're like, oh, well, I guess that, that hit a need, right? That's very yes. easy to tell. Yeah. <laughs> very, very quickly. And we heard that what people said is this helps me feel connected and not feel alone, which is, of course, the bottom line. Sure. Um, The success of that and the team that we worked with, including Lisa Colton, who I know um, has been featured on your podcast, then adapted that to think about how might we leverage this for Jewish food festival. And so One Table actually served as the backbone. The whole food festival was built on One Table's technology. Oh, I and didn't realize team, that. Wow. Yeah. And our team managed all of those communications. So throughout, you know, there were about 20,000 people registered for usually about three events each. So in all of those 45,000 or so reservations all through this powered by OneTable platform, um, if you participated, you got a lot of communications. Yes. <laughs> um, so that you would feel like you're part of a part of the community. And that was OneTable. Right? Wow, that I didn't, was wow, that's amazing. Yeah, that was because we, we know how to do that. We think a lot about what the, the online user journey and user experience is. That led us to conversations with national funders regarding the high holidays, what happens next, um, and the panic that we know is starting to hit for many people. And we launched a new powered by effort called Here For. So it's herefor.com, like here for you, uh, here for Holla, uh-huh. right? Here for the holidays. And that also, in collaboration with close to 60 different organizations providing content and programming and resources and the tools for people to do their own for Rosh Hashanah, for Yom Kippur, for Sukkot and Sintra has been a whole nother way of thinking about inviting people to find the resources, to feel empowered, to create for themselves and others, even now. For an example, I personally got to lead a walking meditation. I always take a walk in youngMP4 and I wasn't sure where I was going to be, or who <laughs> I was going to be with. But I wanted to be able to do a walk, and I posted this event, and I had people from Colorado and Florida and New York join me, and I led a you know kind of an intention for a walking meditation, and we all got to share the experience, you know, which was a really you know I you know I also stream services but this was something that I got to really do and lead in a way that resonated for me and for others, which was again, the design. Mm-hmm. And the, the last one for us is thinking about what other populations really need this kind of support and, and campuses right now are what they talk to the talk about a place of just total change constantly. Our students on, are they off our campus? How is oh, campus yeah. happening? And so we are in, in partnership with Hillel adapting the one-table technology on five different campuses to see if that can actually help them support their students when the students cannot come into the Hillel building. And I will tell you happily that after the first few weeks of this partnership, not only have there been many hundreds of events, but they are primarily (laughs) food-related. There are people who are, (laughs) right, and these are like college students learning to cook. So I think there's really something To this model of, you know, it it is to me, any blessing that we can find in this difficult time, I think one of them is this reassurance that you have the skills, the ability, the intention, like you best, can create a meaningful Jewish experience for yourself and for your beloved. Mm -hmm. And of course, we can learn from our rabbis and our teachers and our congregations. Those are great resources. But if we can't go into those buildings, we can still create meaningful experiences. I will tell you, I'm talking to a young woman named Ariella who always goes home pre-empty pour, right? She, she's, she's in sure. her late 20s. She's recently married. And mom you know, has a, has a set menu. And this year, for the first time, instead of being in the kitchen and helping her mom, she was in her own kitchen, in her apartment in Brooklyn, and she prepared all those same meals. And she did a lot of it on the phone with her mom and felt very connected but also very proud of her ability to actually do it herself on her own. Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: Well, just amazing stuff. I'm I'm wondering you, you hit on this just briefly uh, when we were talking about resources and I wondered what kind of resources does one table have? You have, you have a real staff, Um, you have a real staff here in Boston, but you have staff, in a lot of major cities and, and some right. not so major cities. And then yeah. you have all these people who before the pandemic were preparing foods in their own home. And so you were providing resources to those folks. So tell me a little bit about
2: that.
0: Sure. So, right, there are you know, about um, 30 full-time staff at one table. We have grown, you know, as, as far as a, as a startup organization, again, we're so young, it's hard to remember how young we are in the context of, you know, that we're now serving, you know, somewhere between 60 and 100,000 people a year. But the the staff are in a couple different categories. One is what I would call our field staff, right? So you, you know, in Chicago and in Boston, which you mentioned, and in San Francisco and Los Angeles and other major metropolitan areas, all of which have at least 20,000 Jewish young adults, according to various population studies. We have what we call field managers, and their job is to really be on the ground and form relationships with local hosts, you know, local young adults who are excited to do this and those who are a little bit reticent and need some coaching and support.
2: Mm -hmm. Um,
0: They also form partnerships with local organizations, both in kind of the Jewish community, but and also in the food community. We have partnered a lot, as you mentioned, with restaurants and bakeries and even grocery stores and places that can help get the, um, what we call nourishment into the hands of the host so that the host can create the experience in you and one. And we we really hire, we, I'd say we hire for emotional intelligence. You gotta, you gotta love hospitality, it's our core value. Um, <laughs> but mostly you gotta be able to say, so if you know, Beth signs up, but she gets kind of stuck, like she says she wants to do it and then doesn't do it, how do I help Beth go from her motivation to her activation, right?
2: Yeah. And you'd
0: be surprised. how much coaching that can take you know just you got this Beth. you got yeah what are you going to cook okay great great oh you don't have enough you know your table is small maybe we could sit on the floor yeah send me a floor plan like let's work this through and and anything that they can do to help you do that and then help integrate so it's we call kind of like a high tech high touch right so the, the tech should make it as easy as possible so that the the interpersonal conversation is not about the logistics as much but about the elevation of Again, how do you want your guests to feel mm-hmm. um, and what does Shabbat mean for you and what is your connection to Jewish life over time? And then I would say the other portion of our staff is really like making sure the technology works, making sure the communications, the brand, that it really feels authentic. It doesn't feel like an institution talking at you, but it feels like these are peer-to-peer. It's, it's young adults talking to young adults. You'll If you play with a brand or take a look, you'll see that there's a particular way of communicating so that it just, it also doesn't feel like here we are in New York with a program in Boston. You know, there are different ways of communicating in each of these cities. So there's a, there's a personalizing of that, but fundamentally should just feel as authentic and focused as possible. And then we have a Jewish learning department, which is just constantly thinking about how might we help kind of elevate the threshold for engagement. So we don't want anybody to feel like they have to take a class on Shabbat before they can participate in Shabbat. Like I I want you to be able to, if you haven't done this, try it this Friday. Like, oh my God, we really need Shabbat. Don't hesitate. And they're thinking about how do we introduce someone to Shabbat and then how do we help and go deeper over mm-hmm. time. And uh, another thing that's been interesting during this pandemic time is, you know, as all of our numbers are rising, so are the number of kind of hits on our Jewish learning resources, um, right? If they're up three times, it's like 40,000 page views on our Jewish learning resources, which we attribute to the idea that people are now hosting more. And again, as I said, like they, everybody's looking to to change it up. Um, and so, as you do that, then you start to ask more questions, like, "Oh, how might I talk about racial justice on Shabbat? How might I think about, you know, the changing of the seasons? Like, whatever it is, there's resources kind of to anticipate what you might need." Yeah, that's so. That's how we kind of run run the organization, and the those local people, like that, like Ellie in Boston, who you mentioned, or Annie in uh, DC, or Neer in Atlanta. Those positions are all funded in partnership with local funders. So, we work very closely oh. with family foundations, individual funders, federations, especially to help them achieve. They really care about the young adults in their community. They want to create opportunities for people to feel connected and engaged. And One Table has enabled them to do that. And so, that's part of our model. Otherwise, it would be impossible for us to, to offer the services.
1: Right. And so, just um, one more time again for people who are still listening to this episode. If people want to find resources that you are providing, One Table is providing, or if they're interested in getting involved in a deeper way uh, in their own community, what's the best way for them to reach out to One Table?
0: So I would encourage people to go to onetable.org. As of early October, we are live with a new effort called Pause which is an invitation for anybody, regardless of their stage of life, to actually remember that Friday is the time changes on Friday to take a deep breath. And you'll be able through our homepage on our website to actually let us know who you are so that if you are, for example, not in the target population, not in your twenties and thirties, but are looking for other ways to feel connected on Shabbat or to be able to share this with others, we will now have a new way of communicating with you. One table is focused in who we serve, but Shabbat is a resource for everybody, and the need for it is you know higher than ever. So, OneTable.org dot um, org is going to invite people when they land to be able to complete this information, and beyond that, there will be a whole new section of our site called Pause to really breathe and engage. There will be new videos for people to enjoy that remind them to think about exhaling. <laughs> um, Important. You know, yeah, we have a beautiful video that will be launched the first Friday in November, which is just after the presidential election. No doubt we will need a chance to catch our breath. Oh, yes. Um, and be kind to ourselves, right? So planning now for what people might need and how Shabbat might actually fill that need. So, again, OneTable.org is going to be the best place to go. Perfect.
1: So to just um, as we're getting ready to end our conversation, which I'm reluctant to do, uh, <laughs> on a personal side, if you had to choose today your favorite aspect of what One Table is doing, what would that be? What would you say that is?
0: No doubt for me. It is the enormous creativity. I get Sometimes it's confusing to people because they think, well, why don't you just have one big dinner with a thousand people or 10,000 people? And that is like the least appealing idea to me ever to be at a massive Shabbat dinner. (laughs) I'm much more interested in in thousands of intimate dinners. And we have an internal communication where we're just constantly sharing stories about creative ideas that our participants are using for motivating themselves to come together for Shabbat. Uh, They're endless. Sometimes they're funny. Sometimes they're heartbreaking. Sometimes they're specifically food-related. I think that when you give someone the tools and the resources to do something that is meaningful to them, everybody's yearning for connection. They want the rootedness. If I give you the resources so that you can make Shabbat on your own, you will return the favor by personalizing it so that it actually reflects who you are. I'll give you an example. Stacy in Miami is hosting a dinner called the Senses of Shabbat, and she writes as her dinner description to her guests, again who are um, all socially distant, trying to figure out how to make Shabbat during a pandemic. And she says, "Shabbat has kept me grounded during this pandemic. Always knowing on Friday I have Shabbat to look forward to. While we know our table will have the traditional fixings of Shabbat, I try each week to be creative in making the dinner a little different and special. For this week." I want to put intentions into the different senses of Shabbat, the sight of the candles, table of home cooked food, and adding a practice of meditation so we can get a true sense of relaxation for everyone. She goes on to talk about the smells of food, the special playlist of music, and the goal of having meaningful conversation. So Stacey is hosting her household, and even though she's hosting her own household, She's setting this intention and invitation. Um, And that to me is absolutely inspiring and, you know, helped me redouble our efforts.
1: Oh, that's a great story. I love that. A great story for us to end on very upbeat. Elisa, I want to just thank you so much. This was so enjoyable talking with you today and finding out more about all the great things One Table is doing. It's fabulous.
0: My pleasure. My pleasure. May your challah on this season of roundness be, you know, plump and round and sweet and make enough so that you can continue to eat it all week long. Because (laughs) I really feel like if there's ever a time when we need a bit of Shabbat every single day, this is the time. This is the time. Don't hold back. More Shabbat, not less.
1: (laughs) Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Thank you so much. I look forward to having another conversation with you, hopefully in the not too distant future. I hope so. My trusted advisor and recording and mix engineer is Steve Robinson. The Big Schmear theme music is performed by Cavatino Duo from their CD entitled Sephardic Journey on the CD record label. If you like the Big Schmear, please don't forget to subscribe to my podcast, follow my Instagram account at Beth the Jewish Foodie, and write a review or share a like on my Facebook group page. And please do tell your friends to listen. It's the best way for my podcast to continue to grow. If you have comments or questions, I'd love to hear from you. Please email me at beth at thebigshmeer.com. And be sure to check out my website, thebigshmeer.com, to find recipes shared by my guests. I'm Beth Schenker, the host of The Big Schmear. Thank you for listening and happy eating.